our service. You know why? Because you're the best. So uh, I taught first and second service, and I taught out of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and you can listen to it online, and I did it twice. And at the end, I brought out uh, my mentor, and we did question and answer. And the more that, especially second service, I'm, I'm watching everybody in the congregation go, why didn't he talk? <laughs> I love this man. And I turned to him just begging God that he'd say yes. I turned to him and I said, will you teach third service? Because these folks love stuff that, I mean, they can't get in first and second service. And I, I want you to do your politics as easy as pie. I want you to answer questions at the end. I want to, I want to whip you like a rented mule. <clears throat> and, and, and these folks, they, they'll, 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 they'll go all day. They have the record for the longest service in the history of the church. I've literally been with this man across the country and the world, and I've been at events where he's speaking, and the entire room is captivated, and he's just getting started, and they're like, time's up, and, they, and everyone's just bummed that he's leaving. Uh, I, I, I have listened to probably everything this man has ever recorded. I, I hesitate bringing him out, because you're going to realize I have ripped him off, <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, that's where you got it. I love this man. He's precious to me. And um, he's an eight-term congressman from the great state of Ohio, Bob McEwen. Thank you, sir. I did. I did. Thank you. Thank you all very much. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh. What, what we're going to do is Bob's going to share, and at the end, if he's up to it, you're up to it. And he said, I'll wait to see your cue on that. We'll do question and answer. Are you up for if, that? If they're not asleep or fallen out or collapsed in the, from... This is third service. What are you talking about? All right, Bob, take it over. Thank God bless you. you. Isn't he a prince? I tell you, he's such a blessing. <clears throat> anybody, anybody that meets Rob, uh, just wants to be around him because he, he drops these gems. And, and you take Charlie Kirk. Uh, I just was listening to him this morning. He said he was in a church of 3,000 people on Friday night in another place. And, all the, and he's praising their, their leadership, which is an appropriate thing to do because these are dynamic churches and there's lots of them around the country. But the, the one that is his pastor and the one that he trusts the most, just like you and I do, is Rob, who is... The thing is that he has a depth... Uh, you, you know that it's not opinion, it's not performance. It's the fact that, that he wants to learn and studies the Word of God. And when you go to him with a question, it's anchored, and that's where all of us feel strength and stability from. And, and I'm just, Liz and I are so honored. Uh, my sister-in-law in, in Tennessee never misses a service. There's, and I know that that's just in my family, that there's other people around the country that are so dependent upon... Uh, upon his leadership and upon this church. And so I thank all of you for that. Uh, what, what he asked is that uh, I, I talk about uh, politics is not complicated. You vote the same in Boston or Baghdad or, or Belgium. You, you only vote on two things. You only vote on two things. You vote on what, a term that I'll explain. I, I use integrity. 
And that, that is that the, the right or wrong. If you go to a country, the second you land, and you can tell how, how many bars are on the windows and, and how many people you have to bribe to, to get a parking space and, 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 or to go into business or do something, the, 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 the lower the integrity and the higher the burden of government, the greater the poverty. The greater the spiritual standing, the greater the integrity, the greater the righteousness, and the lower the burden of government, the greater the wealth. And so when you vote, you just vote to turn those two dials. That's all there is to it. And, and once you see it, you can never unsee it. You can listen to a politician for 60 seconds, and you could tell where it's going. Now, this nation was founded by people who believed in God. And, uh, and it wasn't that long ago. Uh, most of you know someone that was 80 years old. Three, three times 80 is 240. You go back 80 years, that's Franklin Roosevelt. You go back 80 years, that's Abraham Lincoln. You go back... 80 years, that's George Washington. Only three 80-year-old people. This is a young country. This little country that just got here was from people that got together and they said, we looked at what everybody else has done and here's what works. And it's found in scripture. And, and as we lay it out, let me just explain that this nation, only 4% of the population of the world is able to call themselves Americans. And yet every year, they write more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights, more inventions than the rest of the world combined. The, rest of the world had hoped for thousands of years to hope to someday fly. You saw Leonardo da Vinci has these drawings of things of being able to have the, had the, the wings as the birds had someday able to... Americans invented the airplane and the light bulb and the telegraph and the telephone in the global position. There are planes landing all over Africa at this moment. Under socialism, the air traffic control system is completely atrophied. They're using a global positioning system conceived, invented, and maintained by Americans. There's a ship parking in Hong Kong and in Singapore at this very moment using a GPS. There are people delivering packages all over Latin America using a global positioning system conceived, invented, and maintained by Americans. Now, why, why this little place? There's a Mercedes dealer in Buenos Aires ordering a part from Stuttgart, Germany, using an internet conceived, invented, and maintained by um, Americans. If the, the, uh, there is, Rob and I have observed that there are skyscrapers all over the planet. Why? Because a guy from Vermont named Elisha Otis, and he and his son invented the safety elevator. And there are places where it's 100 and 120 degrees. Why? Because a guy by the name of Willis Carrier, God love him, invented the air conditioner. And, 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 and they, Liz and I were, were in, in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, about four or five weeks ago doing the, the prayer breakfast. And they have the prime ministers and the parliamentarians and, and the diplomatic court. And they recognize that, that those little countries, there's not much that they can do. That They're dependent upon you and me because if America is weak, then they are at their mercy. There's no place to go. And we, we were observing that a, uh, a plane going over. Now, now, that airplane, invented by Americans, and there's a, there's a uh, uh, microwave oven in there, invented by Americans, has tires, tires, planes landing air. Why? Because a fellow from Akron, Ohio, named Charlie Goodyear, uh, developed the vulcanization for, for rubber. Why is it that this place does that for everyone else? Well, it's actually also because they're right. And by right, I mean they are righteous. 
And that's what I'm going to talk about. If a ship is attacked on the high seas, as happened over 300 times last year, to whom can they appeal? Only the 327,000 Americans wear the uniform of the United States Navy. So if you are a, 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 on a yacht in the Caribbean, or you're in, in, a, in a, uh, a trawler in the South China Sea, or if you're a tanker in the British military and you're in the Straits of Hormuz, to whom can you appeal for protection? Only the United States of America. It's the standard for righteousness. If some dictator wants to inflate the currency and write artificial dollars and things, who can stop him? Only one place. America can lock them out of the financial system to put a stop to it. The list goes on and on. The standard for copyrights, the standard for, for patents on, on medicine, on and on. And this country has maintained it throughout our lifetime, so we think this is normal. It's not normal. Throughout all recorded history, it's the most powerful nation on earth. And there's only one, always. And when it, it pursues it to get there, whether, whether it be the Peloponnesians or the, or the Greeks or the Romans or the, the Spanish or the British, they knew what they had to, and they knew what they had to do to stay there. So the British were the world's most powerful nation on earth for 250 years, up until 1947. And so when they were in a battle with France, they decided that they wanted to have more, more ships and they needed some sailors. So they just want to go take them. Who's going to stop them? Nobody. And so when they took the Americans, Americans said, we don't like this. And so this little country in 1812 went to war, said, quit it. You're not going to impress our seamen. And so we did. We went, to, we went to war with them because they could do anything that they want to do. Well, at the end of World War II, finally, the uh, British, uh, Clement Attlee, the prime minister, sent a, a telegram to President Truman in April of 47 and said that if the United States did not intervene in the Cyprus crisis, that it would be lost to communism. The, the crown had neither the capacity nor the will to intervene. And with that, the torch was passed to America and to a country that didn't ask for it, didn't seek it, doesn't have any thrills about owning it, and yet has done it better than anybody else. No nation on earth, never in the history of mankind, has one nation shed the blood and treasure for the freedom of another and never asked anything in return except the United States of America. There's never been a place like that. I was on the Veterans Affairs Committee. I spoke to the parliament in, in Seoul, South Korea, because as the World War II generation is passing, most of the veterans are now of the Korean War, and they're bearing in their bodies the pain and, and difficulties. They lost 50,000 of their lives and all the rest. And I told those South Koreans, who at the end of the war were the third poorest nation on earth, they're now number 10 because America doesn't ask to own them, they ask to give them freedom and show them how to do it. I said, never in my encounters with an American uh, uh, Korean veteran have I ever heard a single one of them ever regret their service. Now there's no place like that. There's never been a place like that. And so if it's been given to us, we need to understand it because these folks go around and, and try that we, we have this thing called, called diversity. And diversity means basically non-American. And so they, they bring people in from in college from all over the world so they have a diverse uh, uh, professors. And they, as I said, they couldn't find Nebraska with a map. They don't, they've never gone to vacation Bible school. They've, they, they've never played Little League. They don't know America. 
And so they teach this nonsense, and these young people, they think, well, that just must be the way it is, that this American America just throws its weight around all over the world. And, and you and I think, how could they fall for that? Well, we don't have time to go into it today, but I, I was on the 1776 Commission, I was one of 12 commissioners appointed by President Trump. And the, the <clears throat> that said this, and 90% of the people in this room will say, duh, it said that America was founded in 1776. Now, that's offensive to people who don't like America. They're going to say it was founded some other time by somebody else in some other place. It's called the 1619 Project, which is propagated by the New York Times and others. The, this current president could not wait. Now, when you get sworn in, it's 12 o'clock noon, January 20th. That's when it takes place every four years. Then you have lunch with the leadership in the Congress, then you have a, an inaugural parade, and then you have inaugural balls, and then you go in the next morning to go to work in, in the Oval Office. This guy couldn't wait till dinner. At 4.50 in the afternoon, he abolished the 1776 Commission. Hadn't been in office for five hours yet. Now, why is that? Well, it's because most of the folks, if you look at the, at the AP courses for America since 2014, they tell nothing about the founding of America. There's nothing, George Washington does not appear, the Revolutionary War does not appear, Abraham Lincoln does not appear, and neither does the, the Civil War. So it, it, this, the history of America has been so excised that you can take these minds full of mush and, and they can say silly things about them, like, like America throws its weight around. America throws its weight around nothing. We accept more more immigrants than the rest of the world combined. When a hurricane hits any country on earth, to whom do they appeal? Americans are the only ones that give them. And, and so you, you think it's founded in 1776, you want to say, duh. They don't know when it was founded, and they don't know, they say, they want to talk about history and about slavery. Slavery from Adam and Eve until one day was ubiquitous. It was everywhere, all the time, until one day. And one day, a handful of people, 56 of them, by the way, they call themselves Americans. The date was July 4th, 1776. And they signed a piece of paper that said, we hold these truths that all men are created equal. And from that day forward, slavery has been anathema. And there's been a fight again. Now, there's a whole political party that's dedicated to it. They fought a war to preserve it. They created Jim Crow. They did all kinds of nasty things. But the truth of the matter, it was America that broke the ground to say to put a stop to it. And we should honor, and we do honor those people, and so that's why they don't want to discuss 1776, because they have a misconstruing of America. So let's go around. I said we only do two things. Politics equals integrity plus economics. So we use the term politics easy as pie. You only vote on the two things. What is integrity? Integrity is made up of two things. First of all, I say morality, and I define morality as not doing what's wrong. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, shalt not lie, shalt not commit adultery. So that, those, are, those are good things. However, you can sit on a couch all day and be moral. And so you need, you need, integrity is more than that. Integrity means it performs the task for which it was assigned. It's trustworthy. We say this platform has integrity. You say a bank has integrity. It means it can do what it's supposed to do. And integrity is more than just not doing something wrong. It's also doing something right. And I define that as character. So your daughter comes home from school and says, everybody was picking on Sally today and calling her fatty, fatty and all. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, that's good. You didn't do anything wrong. But did you have the character to do what was right? Right. Now, the question. What is the definition of what is right? There's only two 
definitions. Only two. One is what I say is right. And the other is what God says is right. Those are the only two. And every nation has been based upon the idea of the strength of what I say. Except America. And America said, we're going to do it God's way. And what happened to that little country? It, it has created wealth out of all proportion to the entire rest of the world combined. The, uh, in America, we love to talk about poverty. Oh, we just, how horrible things are, how terrible things are. In fact, if we want to talk about, we go down to the Ozarks in Arkansas and get black and white cameras and take pictures of people sitting on their porch and say, isn't this really horrible? Well, a, the GDP, the gross domestic product, the goods and services produced by the state of Arkansas is larger than the sixth largest nation on earth, 240 million people. So our definition of poverty is, out, is all screwed. The Oklahomans, three and a half million Oklahomans create more wealth every year than 91 million Filipinos. The second richest spot on earth is Western Europe, France, Germany, Britain. In America, we have a level below which will not permit you to sink. You come to this country, sit down on a park bench, gripe and complain about the... We will bury you with stamps for food, a roof over your head, a bed to sleep in, unlimited health care for you and anybody you've ever met, unlimited education, a person living in poverty in America. A person living in poverty in America. Her- Heritage Foundation, funded by the Wall Street Journal, done every 24 months by Robert Rector. The Rector study has been done for 37 years. A person living in poverty in America is more likely to have a telephone, a television, an air conditioner, an automobile, eats more meat, has more square footage space than the average resident of the second richest spot on earth, Western Europe. And if Britain were to secede and become one of the 50 states, it would be the 50th poorest state in the union. Only the median income of Mississippi is the only state in the union that's lower than Britain. Our definition of poverty is all fouled up in definition in relationship to the rest of the world. No nation has been blessed as this nation has been blessed. And so it's important that we understand why, lest we elect somebody who wants to fundamentally change America. And there's no place else for us to go. And we see what they do. We see once they take over L.A., you know, I, I saw a picture the other day of an overpass in Los Angeles and all the spray paint and the garbage and people laying there. And, and they said, we're so grateful that Sacramento decided to outlaw plastic straws because they, <laughs> in the scheme of things. So, so how does it work? So everything has to start at a starting p- place. And, and Thomas Jefferson said in disquisitions of every kind that, it, that there's first principles upon which everything else, there has to be a starting point. If you're going to build a house, the first thing that happens, somebody has to go out there and drive a stake. Now, when they drive the stake, that's everything. That's where the house is going to be. You move it six inches the next day, everything's going to start falling apart. There has to be a starting point. Only two starting points. Our founders knew which one to take, and that is this. When, when poor old Moses was dealing with a handful of Jews out in the desert without air conditioning, and, and, and they griped a great bit. His father-in-law came along to him and he said, he said Moses, this is going to wear you out. He said, you need to form a federal, state, and local government, put people in charge of thousands, hundreds, and tens. And I don't have time to teach you about government, Moses, but there's three things you have to look for, three things. To have somebody in government, they have to be three things. Number one, the starting point is they have to fear God. Fear is the old English term for respect God. 
What are the two options? What, I'm God or he's God? And he said, you don't want somebody who's God, who thinks they're God. Just as a rule of thumb, by the way, you don't want to marry a person who thinks they're God. And you don't want to go into business with a person who thinks they're God. And you don't want to elect to office a person who thinks they're God. Because... And so he said, the first thing you have to do is fear God. Don't put anybody in charge that, that thinks they're number one. If they, well, I don't involved in religion and I, I have to, all things to all men and besides that's not the way I feel and all the rest that goes with it. And so how does that work? Every barroom brawl, every schoolyard scuffle boils down to two words, who says? And the answer is what, either what I say or what God says. Now, if you want to do what you say, what man says, then it works out like this. If you, if you believe that man is God, then you believe that man has his own standard. So you ask him, how do you feel about abortion? Well, I think, or God says. Those are only two options. Now, if you believe that man created God, that you believe that man got here on his own, then you believe that he's his own standard. However, if you believe that God created man, then you believe that God has a standard. Now, if, God has this, if man is his own standard, then man has to be good. By what standard would he not be good? He writes the rules. And so you hear these people all saying, man is basically good, and I believe. And, and, and they, they sit around and they think if they vote on something that that's going to come out on top because that's their definition of good. Well, you and I know that man is not good. Man left to his own devices kills destroys. So if man is basically good, then anything that he does wrong is not his fault. And so you can listen to him. You listen to the, to the trial in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They're always talking about, and, and, and now that you're aware of it, whenever you listen to Clinton and these, these people talk, they'll always talk about the collective responsibility. We have a responsibility to care for the poor. And we have a responsibility. Everything is collected. There's no individual accountability anyplace. And so if somebody does something wrong and you inherently know that it's wrong, it can't be his fault. Why? Because he's basically good. So... A man comes in here and starts shooting people. Can't be his fault. He's good. So whose fault is it? Well, it's got to be society's fault. It's got to be the gun's fault. Coming in here doing those nasty things. Need to register that gun. Can you imagine those guns doing that stuff? Can you imagine what they do? You know, you know if guns kill people, how does anyone ever get out of a gun show alive? I mean, I <laughs> whereas you and I know... You and I know that we're, we're responsible. And here's the most important things. Now, this is the answer. This, in dealing with your children or your grandchildren or your neighbor or anybody else, this is the critical question. From where do rights come? They only come from two places. They come from power. And that's, by the way, and let's clean this up just a bit. In a democracy, rights come from the majority. And so the reason that our founders made sure that the word democracy does not appear in any of our founding documents, nor any of the constitutions of the 50 states, is because our rights do not come from the majority. Our daughter spent a year in Rwanda cleaning up after the fact that 80% of the people in Rwanda are Hutu and 20% are Tutsi. Now this is what man does. Satan seeks to divide. And so the 80% wanted to kill the 20%. 
Now here's what's cute. They did. They killed 20, over a million people with machetes, chopped them to pieces. But it's estimated that a fourth of those people that they chopped to pieces because they're killing the Tutsis were actually Hutu. Because you can't tell the difference. Because man is in the business of, Satan is in the business of separating. And so when rights come from the majority, the majority can say, we don't need Jews in, in Germany, and they can put them in concentration camps. Or they can say, I want you to wear a diaper on your face between 7 and 8 in the morning, and if you don't, I can put you someplace, because they think rights come from the majority, and they constantly talk about our democracy. And you want to say, our democracy, show me, where? It doesn't say it any place, because we in America are a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Uh, and to the republic for which it stands. So we pledge our allegiance to the republic. Now here's where people get mixed up. We democratically elect people to run the republic. But if they get there and they say, vote 95 to 5 to kill Jews, you can't do it. Because in America, it's a constitutional republic. It's not a democracy, Sacramento. Get this through your head. You're not allowed to tell us what to, what to do. And, so, and so, so, so I'll camp on this one more time because we're going to leave it here, but here's the point. You ask a person where rights come from, and the distinction about America, unlike any other place on the earth, was that we believed our rights didn't come from the bloodline. It didn't come from the landowners. It didn't come from the Mexicans that have the, 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 the honor guard and, and the coat of arms on their flag and all that. No, in America, regardless of who you are, our rights came from God. And that's why when you, when you say, <clears throat> when, when you go, you watch the Olympics in China in a few weeks when they have, and they'll say, representing China, you know what the China diver is going to look like. And they say the runner from Ethiopia, you know what the Ethiopian runner is going to look like. Or Finland or anywhere else. Argentina, but when they say the American, you don't have a clue what they're going to look like. Because American is not physical. American is spiritual. It's what you stand for and you believe in. You and I can't become Japanese or Chinese, but anybody can become an American because of what they believe in. So our rights come from God. Okay. <clears throat> so, so if you believe that there's anything wrong in the world and you don't have the spiritual solution to it, what do you have to have? More police, more regulations, more controls, more, more titles, more, uh, more, more permits, more licenses. You can't, what do you mean cutting your brother's hair? Why you can't do that? It's what happened when my brother-in-law was in college. He was cutting everybody's hair. And so the city council said, well, we, we need to have a regulation. In order to, to cut somebody's hair, you have to have two chairs for every, for every place that you own. And you have to have three parking spaces. And you have to have uh, water adequate. And then you have to have a permit. So these people always want to figure out ways to tell you what to do. Now, I remember when they, they came up with this, with, with this uh, parental leave. And so that was a big thing, Hillary and Bill, and they got the parental leave if you had a baby that you shouldn't have to, have to go to work. And so uh, Hillary was running for president. I remember somebody stood up and, and she said, well, not all of us have children. Some of us have animals. And when, when our dog has, has a litter, somebody needs to care for them. And she said, absolutely, I, we should amend the law so that we would, we would, have, we would, we would have parental leave for when the dog has a has a litter. 
There is, a, there is an infinite, there's an infinite capacity for these folks to dream up ways to have more and more money or more and more government. However, if you believe that there's a standard, then you, you want limited government. Also, how's the, what's the best way for me to control you? Permits is, is a good one. License is another one. You know what the best one is? I take your money. If I take your money, you're not going anyplace. You understand that's, that's essential, e economic freedom. So the little five-year-old says to his mother, I'm fed up with the way things are running around here. I'm out of here. He grabs his teddy bear. He storms out the front door. The mother stands behind the curtain. She's watching. He, where is he going? He's not going anyplace. Because he, he has, he's as tied to that house as if he was tethered because he has no economic freedom. Now, had he said, oh, and by the way, I took a credit card and $500 out of your purse and I'm going. That's a whole different story. Now... So, so, so in order to have freedom, you have to have economic freedom. And the more money I take away from you, the less freedom you have. So these people always want to have lower taxes. Finally, is they always want a weak defense. Now, this, this causes Katie Couric to have heartburn because she says, you know, you, 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 you liberals, you claim you want limited government and you want fewer taxes, and yet you always vote for a strong defense. And you say, that's right. That's exactly correct. Because... Limited government protects our freedom. And fewer taxes gives us more freedom. And a strong defense protects our freedom. And that is what government is supposed to do. And so it makes, that's what we want to do. So the final one is this. This is a new one in our generation. And that is, these people say that marriage is between three men and a horse. And since, since they are the standard, they can put you in jail for what you just did. Laugh at their definition of marriage. That's not a prediction. In the city of New York at this moment, if I walk up to you and I tell you I'm a woman and you call me he, you can be fined $250 per occurrence in New York City today. This is what these people are doing. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Why? Because they've lost the source of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You go away with the fear of the Lord, you get people that are idiots. Absolute idiots. And so we have those that believe in traditional family values. Now, what is tradition? Tradition is an answer to problems you and I have long since forgotten about. But when we abandon the tradition, the problems come roaring back. And so we understood that a father should provide for his family. But when you do away with a father providing for a family, there is all kinds of chaos that falls from that you understand that a father and a mother should be married. There should be a sense of responsibility. That when a father, when a male fathers a child, that there's a responsibility that goes with that. And that's American tradition. And when these folks say, oh no, you can have three or four people and, and they're all just as good. And besides, you've got the girl down the street and she can fill in for the father and all. They do away with those. You find out that it doesn't, the problems multiply. So tradition is 
a solution to a problem that we've long since forgotten what the problem was until we abandon it at our peril. Now, so three things. Number one, fear God. You gotta do that. You gotta make sure that you're not smarty pants. You understand that somebody else is driving. Number two is men of truth. Now, that means there has to be a standard. And the reason that the world began to prosper was America in the 1920s under Herbert Hoover as Secretary of Commerce established what 12 inches was and what a, what a pound is and created the, the Bureau of Weights and Measures and Standards for America that the entire world began to incorporate and then we had the Roaring Twenties as places all over the world that had, had their own definition as to the size of bolts and, and nuts and things it began to incorporate because there was a point at which it was truth where they drove the stake, that is truth. Now, if you do away with truth, then, then you don't know where, where to go. And so our founders knew that, as I said, is it your truth, Oprah? Or is it my, or, or is it the truth? Because they literally think they can have five women sit on her show and have six truths. You, you can't, you can't. And so our, our founders, so what is truth? We hold these truths to be self-evident, which is a gracious Jeffersonian way of saying any idiot ought to understand this. <laughs> this, this is self-evident, Bozo. You'd be blind, deaf, and dumb. You ought to be able to see this. This is, this is self-evident. Truth. Now, what is truth? I can say that this room is 45 feet wide. You can say it's 55 feet wide. You can say it's 60, and somebody else can say it's 12. And we can all sit around and just contemplate as to how wide it is, and, and your truth is that it's 75, until somebody comes in and measures it. Now, when they measure it, that's truth. Everything else is just opinion. And so I've said three times the room's 45 feet wide. Somebody comes in and measures it, find out it's 51 feet. Everyone in the room knows that everything I said was wrong. Therefore, error hates truth. Why? Because truth reveals error. So they were all sitting there having a great time with all their crazy numbers. That's why you can all sit around a college campus and you can speak about anything in the world. You can say all the idiocy that they are saying, but you let one conservative, one bit of truth come, brother, they go bonkers. They start screaming and yelling, shutting down and carrying because truth reveals error. And error hates truth. <clears throat> so how do you know what is truth? Just see who yells the most. What, 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 if they, they let you stand up and say anything, you, you know, chances are there's nothing to worry about there. My, my father once said, we really didn't need the scriptures. All we need is just follow what, see what Satan did and do the opposite because he's just always going to do the opposite of whatever God plants. But truth not only re reveals error, here's why it's even more dangerous. Truth overcomes error. In the service this morning, I mentioned the fact that uh, during the, the war in, in Syria, that, Donald, that uh, George Bush had a deck of cards, 52 cards, and he had the pictures of the 52 leaders of Al-Qaeda. And uh, so one day I was uh, uh, campaigning, and I heard on the radio it said that President Bush said today that Al-Qaeda is no longer a threat. Now, this is in the middle of the war, and we think, well, that's crazy. They immediately cut to Devilopan, the foreign minister of France, and said, I don't know why the president of the United States would say that's absurd. Of course, of course Al-Qaeda is a threat. And, go, and that's all they talked about, on and on and on and on. And, and that led the story on the evening news. The next morning, the Washington Times, one newspaper, one, one. Now, think about the circulation of the Washington Times versus all the networks in the entire planet. They said this. 
what happened was that George Bush was doing a press conference in the Rose Garden. And when he finished, he was turning to go back into the White House, and one of the reporters shouted at him and said, tell us, Mr. President, how's your 50-deck of cards coming? And George Bush stopped, and he turned, well, he said, well, 42 of them are either dead or incarcerated. Either way, they are no longer a threat. Now, the next morning, on the cover of the Washington Times, they had the New York Times statement. George Bush says, the leaders of Al-Qaeda, dot, 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 no longer a threat. And then they had AP and CBS, and, and they were all doing that. They took the entire quote. George Bush said, of the leaders of Al-Qaeda, 42 are dead or incarcerated. Either way, quote, they are no longer a threat. That truth, then, Rush Limbaugh felt obligated to talk about it for about three hours. One network, the Fox News, felt it would be good to put it on a loop every 15 minutes. And the truth overcomes the error. That's why error hates truth. Let's, let's hit it again. You're defending a fellow who's stolen an um, ATM machine. And you're there prosecuting it, and the defense counsel gets up and says, why he wouldn't do such a thing, why he loves his mother. He was out in Oregon having dinner with his, his sister, and here's, here's the receipt from the restaurant. You don't care what she says, because when you're finished, you're going to show a security camera of him driving the pickup up to the ATM. You'll see him put a chain around the ATM. You'll see his face on the camera as he leans over the ATM. His fingerprints as he grabs the whole thing. And the truth will overcome the error such that, get this, the only way she can survive is to prevent the presentation of truth. Because truth overcomes error. That's why they have to shout down people. Of all the people in the other party, how many of their Twitter accounts did they have to shut down? How many Facebooks did they have to blur? And when you're, you can say every crazy thing about, about this, uh, uh, these shots, other than, but you can tell what the truth is, because once the truth comes, then they always block it. Why? Because truth overcomes error. And, our found, and, what, and what is truth, by the way? When you're 12 years old and you're going to Sunday school, like me, and they say that Christ said, I am truth, you go, what's that mean? Here's what it means. Everybody else has an opinion. Jesus said, get this straight. He's leaving. Get this through your heads. Lighten up. Don't get all afraid, because this is we're all part of the program. That is... Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Good old Thomas. He said, what in the world are you talking about? We have no idea where you're going. How could, we know not whether thou goest. How could we know the way? Thomas, I am the way. Got that. So, you're out skiing, you got off the track, you're lost, it's now dark, the ski patrol shows up, he's got a torch, you elbow your friend, there's the way, he's the way out of here. Christ said, I am the way, the truth. What do you mean you're the truth? It means what I say is true, everything else is just opinion. So get this down, Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's why you can have anybody else in the world talk about any religion in the world and nobody cares. I can be at inaugural and I can pray in the name of Mother Earth and eagle feathers and, all, and nobody cares. But you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because that is truth. So God is truth. That is truth. So. <clears throat> created equal. 
and endowed by a five to four decision of the Supreme Court. (laughs) Where do rights come from? Endowed by their creator. Certain inalienable rights. And among those are life. No, 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 no. That's between a woman and a doctor, and, and I don't want government involved in the bedroom. You're in the wrong country, honey, because it says right here in our that to secure these rights, governments, the purpose of the United States government is to protect innocent life. Number one. Now, if you, I don't care if you're running for school board, I don't care if you're running for, for park bench or whatever. In America, the purpose is life, then liberty. Notice the sequence. See, liberty is of precious little value if you're dead. You have to have life first, life, then liberty, then sewer systems and overpasses. But the first thing you do is, is life. And so regardless of what they're on, you have every right to ask the question. Because then it tells as to whether answer to number one, man or God. So, so anybody that came to apply for an office or a job in our office, first thing we ask them, how do you feel about life? Well, I thought I was supposed to be the receptionist. That's a private question. That's between, I don't, you didn't have any opinion of yours. What I do, that's my private. That's right, sweetheart. Don't let the door hit you. <laughs> because we're in, we're in government. And the government of America protects life so that anybody knows, any Jew knows, it could be t- chased from all over the planet. If he could just get under the canopy of protection of the American flag, he would be safe because Americans protect life. And then, then liberty. And so now you understand the political question with your, with your nephew at Thanksgiving, where he keeps saying, well, there's good people in both parties. No, one party doesn't want to have God. And I know that because a fellow that ran against me twice for Congress but was the chairman of the platform committee at the Democrat uh, convention 16 years ago when they took God out of the convention. And they, and they won't allow God any place there at all. And then, of course, then they have life. When I first went to Congress, at least a third of the Democrats voted for the Hyde Amendment. They were, most Catholics were Democrat at the time, and, and close to half of all the votes for the Hyde Amendment came from Democrats. There's now not one single Democrat in the Congress. There is not one. There was, two years ago, Lipinski. He served with me, and when he resigned, his son took his place, so the Lipinski name survived, and he was a loyal Catholic from Chicago who was pro-life, and the Democrats went after him in the primary year after year after year, and in 2018, they finally got him, so now there, there's none. So one party believes in God, and life, and liberty. The other one believes in man is supreme. I can take life whenever I feel like it. If I want to tell you that you can't go to work unless I put something in your blood veins, those people are over here, and that's the difference in the political system. So here we go. So three things. Round and third heading for home. That is, you've got to have somebody who recognizes that they're not God. So Moses, you've got to have somebody that's truthful. You can trust them. That is, if you sign a contract, they're going to honor it. And uh, that wherever you go, the people, you just expect it. Liz talks about that when we travel around and people come up to congressmen, they say, you know, I've been to America. And she said, well, what surprised you or what impressed you the most or what was the most shocking about America? The answer comes back more than anything else is in America, you don't have walls around your property, unlike the rest of the planet. In America, you don't know where your yard stops and where your yard begins. Why? Because we honor truth. We we don't covet what somebody else has. When a person gives their word, we expect them to keep it. It A righteousness exalteth the nation. So that is what America chose to do based upon God. And so in order to undo it, they would have to do away with God. We don't want to do that. Number two, or truth. And then final is this, and that is hating socialism. Now listen, God didn't have a whole lot of time to be lecturing Moses about economics. He just said simply, get this straight, son. 
If a guy thinks he's God, don't let him in there. If he's a liar, you can't trust him, don't get, get rid of him. Number three is, if he thinks that he can take from somebody else, do not let that person in government. They must hate socialism. And what is socialism? Socialism is taking what you have and giving to that person because I'm the person that decides. And let's talk about that. Let's see if we can do it in 10 minutes and we'll call it quits. Uh, that is, <clears throat> what is money? Money is a representation of a contribution I've made to someone else. That is, so you go in, into the store and you see a pair of shoes and you say, you say uh, I'd like to have that pair of shoes. And the, the owner basically says, what have you ever done for anyone? that would entitle you to those shoes. You say, well, I mowed Widow Johnson's yard. How do I know you mowed Widow Johnson's yard? I have, I have this. What is that? That is a $20 bill. It is a representation of a contribution that I made to someone else. Well, that doesn't look like much of a contribution. This is 60 bucks, you only got 20. You go back and mow Widow Johnson's yard a couple more times, and then you can buy it. Money is a representation, it's a way we keep track of contributions that we've made to other people when we earn it. And that's why it's essential that this 4% is the one that's blessed all the world because we do something that other people don't do and, and this, this is part of it. So the significance is the more I do for people, the more I'm rewarded. And so you're driving down the highway and you see a, you see a big farm with the big combines and you see a, an airplane in the hangar and you think, how did that guy get that? I'll tell you how he got it. He did something for somebody that they made an exchange and gave it to him. That, uh, under, there are two ways to get money, and I'm not sure of the sequence, of, so I'm going to tell you this right now. There's a car going down the road out here. There's only two ways that I get money out of that car. One is called free enterprise. That's where I lay awake nights figuring out ways how to do something good for that person such that they slam on the brake and pull in. You're going to wash my car and do the side, do the, sweep the carpeting and wash off the dash and clean the windows. I'd much rather have that than have this $10 bill. I'd much rather have that pair of shoes than have the $60. A global positioning download, oh, that's worth $200. I'd, much, I'd never get lost again, have a GPS unit. I'd much rather have that than have this $200. And under free enterprise, the way I get money is I do something good for them that they voluntarily, the term is freely, freely, they willfully choose to reach in their pocket and make an exchange, which at the end of the exchange, they are both better off. And if they are not, they don't make the exchange. They only make the exchange because at the end of the exchange, they are richer than they were before. Let's hit it a few more times. I'm going out the door. My son says to me, this is about seven, eight years ago. He said, dad, do you have the app that shows where your flight's coming in and where you're going out when you're changing planes. I said, Robert, what are you talking about? He said, he said you, it's an app. You just poach in the, the number of your flight. When you land, it'll tell you where you're, what gate you're going in and where the, your other one is. If it's just across the way or you got to go to another wing or whatever. So, well, that sounds great. Let's look at it. Cost, 99 cents. Now, question, is that worth it to me to have that on my phone for the next three years for 99 cents? Yep. Question number two, why did that person make that app? Because they didn't want me to get lost in the Atlanta airport? <laughs> they wanted a million of us to download the app and they'd become a millionaire. Now, while we're here, do I care if that app was made by a six foot eight Asian, now let's say African-American male, or a five foot seven Asian Asian female. 
I care not a whit. Because in America, in, under free enterprise, a person is rewarded not because of who they are, because of what they've done for others. And who decides that? The person that reaches in their pocket. So, so why is it all these other countries that didn't invent any of these things, didn't do any of these things? Why? Because they had socialists, people that wanted to come in and take the money away from them. And so the person says, why in the world should I in invent this thing if the government's going to take it? And so they sit around and they don't do it. Mexico. You and I want to go to Mexico. You and I can't go in the trucking company business. We can't go in the grocery business. We can't go in the oil business. We can't go. Why? It's socialist. Government control. They decide who, who is in business. And therefore, there's a handful of rich people I have friends with. And everybody else is locked out of it. Under free enterprise, you can float into Long Beach at 8 in the morning. You can own three 7-Elevens by midnight. Because under free, under, in America, you're rewarded not because of who you are, not because of your bloodline. Under free enterprise, you're rewarded because of what you do for others. And not all of it's good for, and who decides? Not some government planning board, the marketplace, the consumer decides whether or not this is worth buying or not. And so we constantly are at the top. And so the uh, three, only three people can create wealth, savers, investors, producers, we'll come back to that another time. Uh, okay, all right, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> Less than this. <laughs> Only three people create wealth, only three. A, a saver, a fellow wants to start a shopping center and the shopping center costs $15 million and it's gonna provide 500 jobs. So that's the entrepreneur, the business person. And he or she goes to an investor, an individual or a bank, somebody who saved money and says, here's what I'm going to do and I'll pay you for the use of your money. And so having done that, they then hire 500 people to go to work. And those are the only three people that create wealth. All wealth is created by them. Now you think we would honor those people, right? Because they're the ones that do that. And so a farmer, uh, he, he produces, the, uh, produces the crops. If he wants to, to expand, he has to have his own savings or someone else's. And so then by having a profit, he can then hire other people. Now, as I said, that's the free enterprise system. I said there were two ways to get money out of that car going down the street. I left the one out in which God said, you don't want those people. I left out the socialists because the socialist says, you come up there and, and, and they look in there and they say, uh, I want 50% of everything in that purse. And so you take 50% out and you hand it to him. Question, have you created any wealth? Nope. Have you redistributed wealth? Yeah from her purse to his pocket. So whenever you hear Elizabeth Warren, whenever you hear Bernie Sanders, whenever you hear any of AOC, any of those folks, they, they never ever, I'll give you a dollar if you can show me, where they ever talk about the creation of wealth. It never, never comes up. All they talk about is the redistribution of wealth. The mayor of New York ran for president of the United States. It shows how delusional he was. But he... <laughs> He kept saying, there's plenty of money in America. There's plenty of money. It's just the way it's distributed. De Blasio kept saying over and over and over. You and I know the foolishness of that. That's like you're driving from Ohio to, to Colorado. So you're going through Iowa, and it's mile after mile after mile of corn, corn, corn. Then you get to Nebraska, and it's mile after mile of wheat, wheat, mile after mile. Finally, you get, you get to, to 
Colorado and there's no wheat or corn. There's got some cattle there, but it's kind of... So there you get up and you run in Denver and you say, it is really terrible the way that corn is distributed in this country. And, and, and uh, you elect me and I'll make sure that there's, there's, there's plenty of corn in America. It's just not distributed properly. And you elect me and I'm going to distribute corn. And so what he's going to do, he's going to come steal the corn from the guy who produces it. He says, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. He'll give it to people instead of paying for it. They got it for free. So they're not going to work for it. And the whole thing's going to fall apart. And that's called socialism. And it takes about a week for them to destroy anything that they touch. But, but you and I would know that corn is not distributed. It's grown. Wealth is not distributed, it's created. You have to figure out ways to do it. And here's the principle. The greater the contribution, the greater the reward. The more you do for a person, the better it is. Some of you are old enough to remember when not everybody had a computer. And, and uh, it was very complicated. And, and I designed the one, the first one on Capitol Hill in, in order to keep track of letters that were coming in. At the end of the 1970s, people didn't want to get those computer letters. They were very offended. And so congressmen didn't want computers in their offices. And then in the 80s, it began to change. And, and so I developed the, the program. And, but it was a DOS program. In order to get on, you had backslash, double, colon, d, d, d. And I had it taped to my desk. If you make one mistake, you've got to do it again. And by the third or fourth time, you flip the desk and leave. But never... <laughs> A fella came along with an idea. He said, I'll do this. I'll make it so it's a little picture. I'll just make a little window. And you click on it, it'll do that perfectly every time. And from doing, able to do that, he totally revolutionized the world. So I'm sitting in my daughter's home in Houston, Texas, trying to watch the news. My little three-year-old granddaughter comes up, grabs my iPad, downloads a, a loan that she can watch. So she snuggles up against me, and she's, watching, she's running a computer as a three-year-old. Why? What was the principle? The greater the contribution. The man who invented that Windows thing became the richest man in the world. Why? Because government gave it to him? Because, but no, because you and I voluntarily made an exchange. And so Americans invent these things because we have freedom. Now, when you do away with the freedom, then you, then you can turn it into, you know, Detroit or New York or, or wherever you're going. So that, that's, that's what it's about. So those are the three that do it. Now, they create all wealth. Now, you basically, whenever you run into these people, chances are overwhelmingly which side of the ledger they're on. They produce enough wealth that it showers over on others. And the people that benefit from that are basically in five areas where they go. That is that they go to government. Now, in government, a person is rewarded not because of what they've done, but because of who they are. So the entrepreneur... He's, he draws up the plans. He does all the studies. He raises the money for the investment. He's going to create these jobs. And who does he go? He goes to a $28,000 a year guy with a rusted out Volkswagen to get a permit. And he says, well, I think you need to have a green space in the middle of the parking lot. You need to have, to have 13 geese to be able to stay there. And you say, well, wait, no, no, if you do that, then the whole thing can't work. And he said, well, that's your problem. Your guy, I think there was a fish bobber that went through there 18 years ago. And besides, so he has power, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. And the more you get to those people, they're not accountable to bless other people. See, I don't care if you're running... Montgomery Ward. I don't care if you're running Sears. I don't care how big you are. If you don't keep the customer happy, you're out of business. In, in free enterprise, you have to reward the customer. In these places, you don't. Where's another place that they go? They go to education. 
Now, you talk to those folks in most colleges and then we you know with the patches and, and the frag collars and, and, the, and the goatee and, and, and the three PhDs and the pipe and, and if the world was just half as smart as I am, if it's just, it's a real shame that these people, they just, they just, they just don't know. And those businesses, those businesses out there that, that don't understand and, and, and every dime that they get, they get from the production of the people, the producers, the workers that are paying the taxes, the entrepreneur that produced it, or the saver that made it possible. You would think they would honor those people. But what you learn in biology, that parasites always end up killing the host. They, they, so, and finally, is another place that they go is organized religions. You say, well, how do I know, how do I know if, if the church, if I'm going to a, a modern church? I just say this. Go on Christmas Sunday, and if the preacher attacks the people in the pews for their failure to elect a government to do what Christ called the church to do, then you've got a modern church because they want government to be the source of supply rather than Christ. And so people that don't want to work and they want to attack the system will often go to these places to, to hide Another place that they would go is welfare. That's just where you just tell them straight out, you know, look, I'm here and I'm trying. You try living. You try raising this many kids and, 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 and driving a car and, 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 and not working and living on what you're giving. It's really miserable. Well, see, they, they, they feel that they're entitled to it by right. When the church does it, when you and I help a person, what do we do? We require them to go back to the values. That is, who is this person that's living in your house? When was the last, what time do you get up in the morning? How much are the kids doing their homework? But when you take that out of it and you go in, into government, then, then you have the, the chaos. The final example is the arts. And that is, uh, in this country, you know, you sit on the balcony in Soho and you, and, and you, you watch the riffraff go by and, and you say, you know, if this country really cared about the arts like they should, uh, these, these, these workers should pay me a bit more money for, for me to live like this. In America, under the free enterprise system, you create a piece of garbage, you go, you, nobody buys it. However, if you create something worthwhile, you become a multimillionaire. You can, you can be absolutely great. But the people decide and not government. And in other places, the arts. Now, the people often talk about reporters. Why is the reporters are so liberal? Reporters are artists. They take a blank sheet of paper and they create something, and they have a tendency. Now, now these, all of these things, there are exceptions, as we, as we obviously know. We obviously know there's good Christian preachers. We obviously know people have dedicated their life to education, and, and the, the teachers, and particularly in elementary school, they're training. You know, we love all of them. But the, the, the point is, if we want to get argumentative, if I told you that there's a trunk over here with $1,000 for every professor in in California that voted for Biden, and there's one over here for everyone that voted for Trump. Which trunk would you like to have? Or if I, if I took uh, which uh, government employee, government employee, okay, all the government employees, I have $1,000 for every government employee that voted for Biden. So, so you get the idea. It's, it's not universal, but you got the point. So here, here we are. Money is a representation of what we've done for others. Two ways to get it, free enterprise and coercion, where I just take it. We reward in proportion to others by what we do, not because of who we are. The greater the contribution, the greater reward. Now, there is one other part that we need to have to explain it, and it works like this. That is, I need, there it is. Now, with this, you'll understand who to vote for and how. This, let us suppose that this represents 100% of the income of any city or any state or any nation. 
Let us say, say it represents a $100 bill. And you go to Walmart, and the most expensive thing in the store is $99. What does that mean? That means you're completely free to choose anything in the store. Let us suppose someone comes along and takes 25% of it away from you. Now, what happens? Two things. Number one, you have fewer choices. There's some things you can no longer buy in the store. Thomas Jefferson said freedom is having choices. The more choices I take away from you, the less freedom you have. Anybody who's ever raised a teenager has had this discussion. <laughs> then, also, <clears throat> also, the more money I take away from you, the lower your standard of living. Now, that's, that's common sense to most of us, but if you're with the New York Times, that would be a profundity. That, that, <laughs> that, that, that you... That if you take, suppose someone comes along and takes half of it, what happens then? Even fewer choices, less freedom, a lower standard. Suppose someone comes along and takes 75, leaves you with 25. What happens? Fewer choices, less freedom, lower standard. Suppose someone comes along and takes it all. What do we call a person who works all day long and keeps absolutely nothing? That person is called a slave. Now, there are two people that can come and take money away from you. Two. One is called a criminal, has a gun, and can take money away from you. The other is called the government has a gun, and can take money away from you. Here's the point. The impact is the same. You go to the pay window, you walk out across the parking lot, a fellow comes up with the gun in your ribs, says, I want 75% of everything in your pay. You go home, sit down with your wife and children, here's how much money we have for food, clothing, and shelter, the kind of vacation, the kind of car we can drive. Or you make it all the way to your truck, you open up the paycheck, and you find out it's, half of it's gone. The impact is, Uncle Sam's already taken it. The impact is the same. So here's, here's the principle. The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. The greater the government, the greater the poverty. And politics is very simply this. These boys are losing their energy. Point, point it that way? Or no, I'm, I'm talking about the, 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 the pointer here. Here we go. The, uh, <clears throat> that politics is simply this. Where do we go on this chart? The greater the government, the greater the poverty. Every time. When I was in the state legislature in Ohio, we were number one in new job creation. Number one. We elected some folks, said we can put a stop to this. And so by the time the last governor left office, Ohio was 49th out of the 50 states. 49th for the first time in history. Ohio Buckeyes were saying, thank God for Michigan, but nevertheless. They, they, you, you, you either create wealth or destroy wealth. When Margaret Thatcher took over in Britain, the... IMF had controlled the pound sterling. They were in utter chaos. First thing she did was cut taxes, put money back in people's pockets, began to save, invest, and produce, began to create jobs. And when she left office, it was the fourth largest economy on the planet. So the politics is very, which way do we go? If you understand this, you can make any rich place poor or any poor place rich. Let's give a, a couple of examples here. So North and South Korea, which, which Rob and I appreciate, same heritage, culture, climate, language. North Korea got... Socialism, the last decade, 10% of the population starved. What do you do? Food, clothing, and shelter. First thing you do is food. They couldn't do that. They eat sticks and leaves. South Korea, 10th largest economy in the world. And if you don't know why, just put your hand on your hip and grab your phone, and you'll understand that these, these folks, freedom, freedom creates wealth. At the same time, at the end of World War II, that's what Nagasaki looked like. Uh, the United States put an end to the war, but then uh, that's what Nagasaki looks like today because that's what America does. It helps people. At the same time that, uh, that Nagasaki looked like that, the richest city in the history of the world was a place called Detroit, Michigan. They elected a mayor who was a racist. 
He said, we're going to appoint people based upon their skin color, and we're going to tax people based upon their ability to produce. So when they come through, if you're going through an intersection, and every time you go through the intersection, somebody comes along and takes half your money, how long before you quit going through that intersection? Well, so Michigan, Detroit, today, the population is lower than it was in 1900. There are 42,000 single-family dwellings. They're not uninhabited or uninhabitable because if you understand, that, that was the train station. It was most beautiful murals in the world. Anybody who came to America in the 20s and 30s and 40s always wanted to go through Michigan, go through Detroit so they could see it. That's what it looks like now under this new mayor. That's what the cities look like. You can make any poor place rich or you can make any rich place poor. Here's the final example and I'm done. Why does socialism never, ever work? It cannot work, and here's why. Let us suppose that you're going to buy something for yourself. You care about two things. You care about the price, because you're paying for it. And you care about the quality, because you're going to consume it. Nobody can make that decision as well as you can for yourself. You might pay $4 for a cup of coffee at 7 in the morning, for which you wouldn't pay 35 cents at 2.30 in the afternoon. When it's your money, buying it for yourself, you care about the price, and you care about the quality. That's called a first-party purchase. Let us suppose that one of those things is not controlled by you. Let us suppose you're going to buy something for someone else, so therefore you're going to pay for it. Do you care about the price? Yep, because you're paying for it. <laughs> but you're not going to consume it, so you're a little more flexible on the quality. <laughs> mm, by the time it breaks, they'll be married for three years. They'll forget who gave it to them anyway. This will be fine. So we, we've... <laughs> We've all bought things for people we never would have bought for ourselves. We've all received things as gifts we never bought. Do we care about the price? Yes, because we're paying for it, but we're not so concerned about the quality. Let's suppose it's the other way around. Let's suppose you and I are going to consume it, but we're not going to pay for it. And so you're sitting there at the restaurant, and the waitress comes along and says, how would you like to have some orange juice? And you say, oh, that'd be fine. How much is it? And she says, well, it's three and a half dollars a glass. Really? I'm fine. I, I, I don't need any. Oh, you got the pancakes. Well, it comes with the pancakes. <laughs> well, in that case, I'll take three glasses. That'd be fine. You just pour, pour away. You might leave half a glass. You wouldn't if you paid for it. But do you care about the quality? Yes. Do you care about the price? Not a whit because you're not paying for it. Final example. Let us suppose that where you work, everybody that comes to work late, has to put $5 in the kitty, and at the end of the month, they raffle it off. So it's the last day of the month. The boss says, John, see how much money's in the kitty, buy something with it, and we'll get rid of it this afternoon. So you, you count it out, there's $150, and you go to lunch, and you forget all about it, and you're coming back, and you're going, oh, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do? And you look around, and there in the neighbor's store window is a six-foot-tall stuffed frog. And you go over and you check the price, it says $149. Oh, this is, this is perfect. So you buy the frog, you take it over, you put it in the, in the closet, and then the day the boss invites everybody down, lectures to him about being late. Everybody draws a number, see what they win. Who wants? Sally, the new secretary, wins. Go over, open the door, what you get? Six foot tall frog. Everybody laughs, go, oh, so one, pull the car up, they shove it in the front seat, and everybody drives away in the parking lot, everybody's clapping and cheering. You know, what's that called? That is called a third party purchase. A third party purchase is made with money that's not yours, therefore you don't care about the price. To purchase something you're not going to consume, therefore you don't care about the quality. Now, as Rob advises me, and when you're going to say something profound, you're supposed to pause for emphasis. <laughs> I am about to pause for emphasis. Because what I'm going to say is not Democrat, Republican, Socialist, Christian, Labor. This is just the facts, Jack. All government Purchases are third-party purchases. 
made with money that's not there to purchase things they will not personally consume. Therefore, will there be waste in the highway department? You betcha. Will there be waste in the defense department? You can count on it. That's why we believe, as Abraham Lincoln said, the government should do only those things which a man cannot do better for himself. Can you defend the country? No. Can you build the Grand Coulee Dam? No. Man should only, government should only do those things which he cannot do for himself. Why? Because every time we take a dollar from an individual to save and invest and use to the maximum benefit of themselves and their, and their family and run it through a third-party system called government, we are in the process of making the nation poorer. And you show me what percentage of the GDP of any city or any state or any nation. And the principle applies. The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth, the greater the government, the greater the poverty. And that's what you and I decide. And in the tragedy, the tragedy of this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful state is that we have folks in Sacramento who are in the process of destroying it. Because picking pieces, they don't know what creates wealth, all they do is they see it in Orange County and we're going to ship it to wherever. And in the process, people said, no, you won't. I'll leave. Just forget it. And so now it has a $2 trillion deficit. And, and there is no, this, this, it has the same GDP as France. France has embassies all over the world. They have an army. They have a navy. California doesn't have any. California ought to be rolling in money. And yet it has people that reward people to do nothing. And it's a consequence. And why? That's where you and I come in. That's where you, you and I have to decide what part we're going to pay. My father explained to me when I, uh, when I was young and I was disappointed that we lost the presidential election. He said, Bob, when you rob from Peter to give to Paul, you can always count on the active support of Paul. And when we allow politicians to steal from one group to give to another in violation of godly principles, in violation of traditional American values, then they make places poor. And, and did the, the population of New York State and the population of Florida is virtually exactly the same. Exactly the same. And the size of the government in Albany, New York, is twice the size of the government in Tallahassee, Florida. This isn't rocket scientists. It can easily, easily be done. Okay, so final point. Here we are. Our constitution was made for a moral and a religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If we abandon the godly principles, we can't expect Satan's kids to know how to do this. They're in the stealing business. They're in the lying business. And so it's, it's a spiritual battle above and beyond. So we do that. Our founders understood it. That's why they said that we, we want to make it clear. You can't have an official document in America unless you remind people, done in this, the year of our Lord. There are two important dates in the history of man. One is when Jesus Christ came and shed his blood to restore God's creation, number one. And number two was the creation of the United States of America in which God's creation were treated equally. Therefore, all official documents, I don't care if you're creating Groundhog Day, Whatever bill that you're passing, at the very last sentence will say this. Done in this, the year of our Lord, the 2021st, and of the independence of the United States, the 245th. Those are the two starting dates from which everything else goes in the entire rest of the world. We give anything to be, to be with us and to stand with us. That was interesting. Number two, who are you going to have in power? Nobody can take a position of public trust unless they first, are they God? Nope. 
first swear allegiance on the Bible. So now for the first time, we have two women from, from the Northeast that wouldn't swear on the Bible. And when Pelosi took over, we have, we have chairmen of committees now that when they swear people in, in the Democrat Congress, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Since it's my truth, yeah, yeah. They do away with, so help me God, because that's the standard, and they don't want the standard. And so, this country won't work under those conditions. And who understood it? The founding father who said it. Now, that's the, that's the integrity part. The other is the economics part. When the country became independent after the the Revolutionary War, we had 13 individual countries, 13 individual foreign policies, 13 individual currencies. Some countries, had, some of the states had debt, others didn't. Some people didn't trust the currency of the others. They had the thing, the Continental Congress had printed some, and to this day when we say something's totally useless, we say it's not worth a Continental. That means that the Continental dollar was worthless. And so George Washington, sitting there on the porch of Mount Vernon, looking across the Potomac at Maryland, they made an agreement between the two countries, <clears throat> between the two states, that they're going to trust one another and operate. And so everybody else said, we need to do that too. And so they called them back to the same place where they'd written the Declaration of Independence 11 years earlier, now called Independence Hall. And they started to put together a constitution. And some of the states didn't, they wanted certain things and they fell apart after five weeks, and then they had to open with prayer, as Benjamin Franklin suggested, just as a little aside. You can find no reference to promiscuity by Daniel Webster prior to World War I. In the period uh, the communists took over in 1917, and the Frankfurt School came and began to open the de deconstruction of the United States and its founders in the 1930s and thereafter, and all of this stuff that these kids quote is stuff, bad stuff, bull. And, is and so he stood up and made an observation. He said, when the Constitutional Convention was falling apart, he said, he said, I'm an old man. He was 84 years old. He was one of only four people in the room that had signed the Declaration 11 years before. He said, but one thing I've learned is that God governs in the affairs of men. Now, this guy had financed anywhere from a fourth to half of George Whitfield's evangelistic trips up and down the East Coast. So he obviously was not... He said, but one thing I've learned is that God governs in the affairs of man. If a sparrow cannot fall without his notice, is it probable that an empire could rise without his aid? That we were instructed in sacred writings, except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain to build it. Well, I believe we shall be no more successful in this political building without his aid than were the builders of Babel. He said, in the conflict with Great Britain, we had daily prayer in this room. Our prayers were heard, and they were graciously answered. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need it? Then, Mr. President, I'm, I move that we recess for three days of fasting and prayer. Let's see what God might do and begin his session with prayer. So they proceeded to do it. If you want to look it up, it's June 28, 1787. You can get the entire speech. He makes 14 scriptural references. Now, he's speaking off the top of his head. When he says, a sparrow cannot, we shall be no more successful than we're the builders of Babel. A sparrow cannot fall without Everybody in the room knew the scripture. They knew what he was talking about. When a person is spiritually illiterate, they don't understand. So if I'm speaking to you in Chinese, you don't know if I'm quoting Shakespeare or Ring Around the Rosie. When, when, you, are, when you are spiritually in, bankrupt, then you can tell these college kids, why, he was a deist and he didn't know God and he, was, he had 50 children out of wedlock. and They can tell me anything they want. This guy stood up and did, and they decided to begin each session with prayer, and Congress has never met 
from that day until this without first calling upon God in prayer. So when they did it, they, one of the provisions of the Constitution was that you have a State of the Union address and, and pro, pro, provide reports on the State of the Union. George Washington said once a year is enough of that. So in his third State of the Union address, get this. Remember, the dollars were worthless. They were one of the things that prompted it. North, North Carolinians wouldn't take the money from the South Carolinians. A bunch of farmers went up and, and raided the seed corn in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was helped started the, the cascade of all these things. And so one of the things they had to do was they had to establish an American currency, which, which took some leadership. Alexander Hamilton did it. In George Washington's third State of the Union address, he said this. He said, the United States enjoy a scene of tranquility and prosperity under the new government that could hardly have been hoped for. Get this. The public credit, that is the American dollar, stands on the high ground which three years ago it would have been considered a species of madness to have told. In other words, if I would have told you three years ago that America would have the strongest currency in the world, you would have said I was crazy. All right, Bob, what's your point? My point is that you do the wrong thing you can foul up a great city, a great state, or a great nation. But you do the right thing. You can make a country energy independent in 18 months. You can turn this country around in a New York minute. And that's what you and I are going to do. God bless. I'm not finished with it yet, Bob. And, and Congressman McEwen said, Rob, I don't want to talk that long. I said, it's third service, and if they have to go to the bathroom and they have to leave, they know they can. Amen? And no, no one's going to fault you if you've got to roll. I get it. Come on up. We're going to take questions from everybody. Uh, did we get another microphone? I think we did. Yeah. So we'll take some questions from some folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you now, I'll I'll begin with the question, um, and then the rest of you can ask. Um, and you know what? Uh, just well, we'll try raising hands. We'll do that in a little bit. My question is this: We watch, and you were referring to Microsoft, and so you see a man get very wealthy. We're talking Bill Gates, and with that wealth now, he's buying lobbyists. He is on the forefront of this injection. Without morality, capitalism is dangerous. What's your answer to that? Man is, da man is dangerous without, without God. That's exactly right. And so, so it was made for moral and religious people. And, so that's, and, so, and, and man's natural nature is to control other people. So the Constitution was designed to prevent tyranny. And so what we're facing right now at this moment, Russia is not necessarily communist at the moment. Russia is an oligarch. It's a handful of very, very wealthy people in cahoots with the president that are, are controlling things and people don't have anything to say. That's what America is flirting with at the moment. Very, very wealthy people who, when Donald Trump came in and said, 
you're making all this money off of us shipping it to China. I'm going to put a stop to it. The stock market in China under Donald Trump went down 47%. You know what that means? That means he wiped out half of the wealth of China and the stock market in America went up 55%. So the country that was about to get overrun, if you go to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis and you look up on the chart there, the median income for America, and it has a chart right on the cover there, 1996, 2006, 2016. Hold, hold this one, finish with that. All right, thank you. So you've got all of, the, all of the flipping around, but basically it's only $200 difference. Now get that, that's never happened in the history of the country. 20 years flat. Under Donald Trump, under four years, it went up $5,300. Now, that's, so, so uh, the, the question is, are the handful of people that were making all the money while everybody else was strong are, are going to be in control? So they put everything they could to wipe him out. And this is a fight between the very wealthy pharmaceuticals, the very wealthy oligarchs, and can they spook us, and they use a spirit of fear to accomplish it, into allowing them to get away with it. And this is a very critical time. I, I really believe that this is the most important year of our lifetime. If, if, they, can, if they can continue to steal elections, uh, then our country has come to an end. And, uh, but if we can expose them for who they are, then we can finish them off. And, and as I said this morning in one of the services, we've, we've tried for 30 years to get people to take an interest in school boards. And, uh, and I, I know I didn't say it in, the, in this service. It, in, I, I spoke in, in uh, Fort Worth yesterday. Fort Worth School District in 2017 was the first place where a school person's board member suggested that boys, could, if they felt like it, could go shower with the girls. The person that proposed that got 1,100 votes. They didn't win by 1,100 votes. They got 1,100 votes. In a district with 93,000 students and 800,000 population. One, school, one church just three blocks away from the Board of Education has 35,000 members, and yet that's been allowed to happen. Well, suddenly it appears that this sleeping giant is beginning to wake up. And if we run for school district, we've begun to do things, we can take this country back, and this year is the year to do it. Just, just to let you know, this little fellowship, uh, what you're doing is resonating across the country. So uh, the first church that Charlie spoke in was ours, and now he's begun to travel across the country speaking. One in particular, um, my wife's brother contacted me and said my pastor would want to have Charlie, and I connected the two together, and he went and spoke at uh, Cornerstone Church in Leesburg, Virginia. It was Gary Hamrick. The church has exploded. They've been contending with the tyranny. And their congregation, their people, are the ones that started the Loudoun County School District thing and changed the whole. So bless you guys. Question. Anybody have a question? Yeah, come on up. No comments, only questions. Good, good, good. Put a caboose on the end of that thing. Hi, Rob. Thank you for today. Oh, my gosh. I'm still applauding for you. <laughs> I was listening to, um, oh, gosh, now I just, I forgot his name. Okay, and he just made a statement that he doesn't feel that what's happened to our country is reversible because it's gotten so bad. And yet I listen to what you're saying, that this is a pivotal year, and I believe there's always hope. But you're the most informed person, aside from our pastor, that I have listened to yet, and I would like an answer from you. No, I'm no, only no. informed because I rip him off. No, it's not even close. 
It's not even close. If you, were, if you were George Washington and you're selling an idea that nobody had ever had before and you're taking on the strongest power on earth and you didn't even have a government and you had no money to pay the people, now that, that'd be hard. That'd be a difficult look to, to say that we're having a hard time now because these guys are fighting. From 1929 when the stock market crashed until 1995 when Newt Gingrich took over, that's 70 years. That's a third of the history of the United States. Republicans... Only chaired a committee in Congress, only held the gavel 20, 48 months in that entire 70-year period. Uh, when, when uh, out of 435 members under Roosevelt, Republicans only had 88 seats. We're tied in the Senate, only three short in the House. I mean, this is not the time to, you know, wet our pants. This is, we gotta get, this, this is a time to fight, fight. Hi, Bob. Do you think this is an American problem within America, or is this a world problem with the new world order? It seems like David and Goliath. Yeah, it, 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 the whole world has always been an effort to take down the United States. And uh, yeah, you take a city, must bind the strong man. There's only one strong man in the world. You take down the United States. 70% of all maritime traffic goes through the South China Sea. There's only one nation that allows that to happen. 100% of the oil that Japan, fourth largest economy in the world, that Japan, at all, their oil goes through there. Why? Because Americans. You get rid of America, and China can say, if you don't break diplomatic relations with Russia, you're, with, China, with Israel, if you don't quit producing whatever, if you don't quit making Toyotas, we're, we're not going to let you come through there. We would, we would lose our freedom. So this has always been a, a fight, and it's, a, it's an international fight, and America is the one to keep it alive. And as I said... When these people come up to us, when Liz and I are doing prayer breakfasts around the world, and they just grab our shoulders and arms and they plead with us for America to do what's right, there's nothing they can do. I don't care if they're the prime minister of a large country. There's nothing they can do. They don't have a tenth of the power that any person sitting in this room can do because we can vote for the leadership, and they can't. So we have to do what's right. And, of course, yes, the whole world, this is always a spiritual battle. 4% of the population of the world provides 85%. Now, let's put it this way. If you take all the money that goes for global evangelism on the entire planet and increase it five and a half times, that's still not as much as Americans give. This is the lighthouse for the gospel. So this is a spiritual attack, and we need to understand it. So, Congressman, you, 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 you've painted a picture of uh, the fact that there is an opportunity to turn things around. Um, and you've also described kind of the differences between the Democrat Party and the Republican Party in those specific terms. But it seems to me that the Democrat Party and the, those ideas and values or lack thereof, we understand that clearly. And that seems like the threat. But we turn as the alternative, the Republican Party is the party of certain values. And it seems like that's where the real threat is because those people are not trustworthy. They, they have this veneer of having the right values, but they seem to be doing the same things that the Democrat Party is. How, how, do, how do we solve that? I, I don't think that's fair. I, I just, try running for office as a Republican and see whether or not it's just a veneer and it's about all the same. Those people come with you with guns a-blazing. Because they know that the Republican Party stands for righteousness. It stands for, for what's right. And, and they, that's why they freeze you off MSNBC and, and CNN and all, that, all those kinds of things. Uh, it, 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 I would encourage you to, to be cautious um, about 
looking at the flaws of people that are on the battlefield. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, when, when we're in the, we're in the skybox, it's easy to say, well, you know, he really should just run around there. Well, yeah, I know that. But when you're down there on the field, it's not as easy as it looks. And so that's why we pray for those in authority over us and we support them. And uh, this whole thing in, in, uh, in Loudoun County, we're a member of a group called the Deplorables. And it's made up of all of the activists in Loudoun and Fairfax County. And uh, during the debate, uh, during, uh, they said that Glenn Youngkin, he should have done this and he should have done that. And they're all people who've never run for office. And, and, uh, and so I, I would try to soften it a bit and say, you know, maybe you should show up at that thing. He, he didn't come to this rally. He should have been there. Well, then why don't you go and help him do it? I did a little bit. Well, now, now that he's won, everybody's, oh, I was for him all from day one. Yeah, I understand that. So what we're going to try to encourage them is that this is a battle and this is a fight and we help each other. And, uh, and, and, and there's a difference between the parties. Politics is done by addition and multiplication, not by division and subtraction. So we're going to find some Republicans that, and even Democrats, that, you know, they're it's something like you are described, rhinos, Republican in name only. But we look at, if it's 51-49, then I'll, I'll work with someone who's 51% of the time on, on my trajectory, what I desire. They're never, and Reagan said this, you're, you're never going to be able to please everyone. And in office... The people that voted for you are ultimately going to hate you, and the people that don't hate you are ultimately going to like you. From time to time, it's going to switch. Uh, and as having sat in office, you find that. So um, hold them accountable, especially if they're elected from your district. The more you're involved in the way you establish the platform of the party is by participating. I mean, it's easy to sit back and criticize what they're doing, but participate in the process, and you'll have a change in that. And they, it, it really is effective. I've seen it. I'll give you one example. Um, I was invited to go to an event here in town at the mosque. I was asked by the mayor. I showed up as a councilman. I was the only councilman to show up. And it was all the people that didn't vote for me and were holding signs because it was, they were protesting the president's position on immigration. And I showed up and I t called my wife. She didn't answer, but I called her to tell her I was going to miss her and that I love her and goodbye. <laughs> and when I got there, the mayor hugged me and said, I'm surprised you're here. And I said, you asked me to be here. And as I stood in the front row listening to each of these uh, elected officials speak who were the opposing party of myself, and they looked at me, each of them changed their words and were mindful of my presence, except for one, and that was an activist. And they came off so shrill that nobody was even happy that they spoke. But the mayor themselves it created this dynamic. Your presence changes things. Participate in it, and you'll watch folks like that because usually they step out in front and everyone abandons them. So the more you participate, the stronger they get in the, in the issues you appreciate. That's what I'd say. One more question, we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much for speaking in the third service. But I wanted to ask you, what can we do about the cheating in elections and how can we overcome that as citizens? Bob, Bob can I jump on that? Uh, the question was what we could do about the cheating, and, and he'll answer it, but I'm going to give you one real simple. Um, what's that? Okay. So, uh, and this is fascinating. You just had an election in Virginia and New Jersey, right? And both Republican candidates were leading, and they were going to win. People were excited. Well, the difference between Virginia and New Jersey is seven churches in New Jersey got together. They trained 1,200 qualified poll workers, poll watchers, and they were in Fairfax County, and they were in Virginia Beach, and all the skeptical regions 
uh, observing the election, which limited the shenanigans. They didn't have that in New Jersey. That's why they were able to stave off all the cheating in Virginia because seven churches trained 1,200 people. You want to know what to do? Do something. That's what you do. Be a poll watcher. Train. Let's get it going. We've got a lot of work to do. All right, let's stand. Lord, thank you for bringing uh, Bob and Liz to bless us. And Lord, what a blessing uh, this couple has been to Michelle and I. And we're so grateful. My life has been profoundly impacted and changed by this man. And I thank you for bringing him into my life and his helpmate, Liz, who is an, uh, an exemplary picture of just elegant beauty. And, and Lord, just witnessing this couple and the way in which they've served this nation because they love you and they understand freedom. And so we're grateful that you blessed us with them. Lord, would you bless them in the way they blessed us, uh, pressed down and overflowing. And so, Lord, we thank you this day in Jesus' name. And we're going to close with a doxology. He has a beautiful voice. Start it for us. God from whom all blessings Third service is even good singers. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.